To open your Bibles up to Ezra chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 11. That will take us to the end of the first chapter. Material things, possessions, uh, resources, in in above themselves, are not inherently bad or evil. These things are gifts from God. The TV is not inherently evil just sitting there. The TV can be used for evil and bad things, but the TV can be used for good things. Uh, We can reach a lot of people now with the gospel through telecommunications. The computer, the internet, can definitely be used for stuff that is evil and that's bad, but it can also be used for things that are good. Once again, you have an opportunity to reach thousands upon thousands with the message of the gospel. You can communicate. Think about that now. Just not that long ago, we couldn't communicate with people around the world, but now when something happens, we hear about it almost instantaneously. I wonder what World War II would have looked like if we heard of that news as quickly as we hear it today. What we do, we are bombarded with a lot of images, but my point being that nothing is evil in it by themselves is what we choose to do with it. Now we pick up our story here and we are reminded that Israel has spent years using their God-given resources for the wrong purposes. God gave them the law, the King Commandments. So there's more laws we find in the book of Leviticus, but God gave them the law to follow and obey Him, but they chose not to do it. God gave uh, them the temple to worship Him and to be in His presence, but yet they worshipped idols instead of Him. Therefore, God had sent them into exile. Now it is the time for him to bring them back. And God, we find in our text, is restoring items that he had sanctified for the purpose, the sole purpose of his worship. In fact, if you look back in the book of Exodus, the last five chapters describes each of these in the minutest detail. God is creator of all, and as creator, he owns it all. And God created these things... For one reason, to worship and to glorify Him. So let's pick up our story in verse 7. Also King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and put in the house of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had brought them out by the hand of Mithradot, the treasurer, and counted them out to Shesbavar, the prince of Judah. Now this was their number, 30 gold dishes, 1,000 silver dishes, 29 duplicates, 30 gold bowls, 410 silver bowls of a second kind, and a 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver numbered 5,400. Sheshbazar brought them up with all the exiles who went up from from Babylon to Jerusalem. So we find here that King Cyrus brings all these things out. Now, you have to remember, a king back then, when he conquered a nation, they would go into their temples or places of worship, and they would take these articles out of those places of worship and take them back to their own capital to show that his gods were more powerful than the gods of the conquered people. All right, And they're usually made of gold and silver. So not only were they beautiful articles or items to pull out, 
but they use them also to show power and also some religious value in, in employed there by saying that my gods gave me power, the victory over your gods, so my gods are more powerful. The fact that Cyrus' decision to take these out, these things Nebuchadnezzar had carried out when he destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem, he is now putting them back to the people as they go back to Jerusalem. The fact that he does that shows us how serious Cyrus is in respecting them and their customs and their religion. In fact, if you look at chapter 6, verse 5, you will find that that decree specifically mentions returning items to the temple. Now, to fully understand this, because we're, we're separated by time and custom and place, imagine for a moment what, some, what it must have been like to see them, for the people to see the temple destroyed and all these things that were used in worship, sanctified, set apart in worship of God, were now carried off in pagan hands. These fine instruments made of gold and silver, the purest of them all, decorated by the finest artists of their time, set apart for the sacred purpose of worshiping God. In a lot of ways, they were sanctified with the blood of animals. All the stuff that was used was now carried off by pagan hands. Now, every illustration breaks down, so bear with me. Imagine for a moment this place was tore down and you saw people looting and taking things out of here with no respect. Now, that's in a lot of ways, that fails in comparison for them, but put you, I'm trying to get you in that mindset. What's the, what, what would be going through your mind and your heart to see that happen? To see this place just ripped down and destroyed and graffiti, total disrespect. How would that make you feel? Almost defeated? Maybe even kind of, what kind of world are we living? Maybe some hopelessness would be involved in that. And not only were these items taken out to be to be carried off for the resale value, not only were they carried off so they could just be used by ordinary people. And that brings another point. These items that were carried off couldn't be used by just anybody. The priests are the only ones who could do these things. And they had to be sanctified by the washing of water and blood. Only the priests could touch these. So that even puts more emphasis to see these pagans go in and totally disrespect and go in and just take all this stuff out. And like I was saying just a moment ago, not only were they taken out because of their resale value, not only so they could be used by ordinary people, they were carried off so these sacred, sanctified items of worship could be used in the pagan temples of idols. Items that God called for, that he provided materials for, for the sole purpose of bringing him honor and glory, are now taken in pagan temples. Now, pagan temples were the, were the most vile, immoral, disgusting places because of things that took place within them. They had temple prostitutes and orgies, even human sacrifices. And these were these items went and placed in these pagan temples of worship. And now it's time for them to be restored back. Taken back from pagan houses of worship to the rightful place in the house of God, which is the temple. Now think about all the resources God has given you. What God has blessed you with. 
What have you devoted your precious resources to? He provided them, gifted you with them, so you could earn and build and maintain them. So what have you done? And when I'm talking about resources, I'm talking about possessions, material things, your life, your time. You know, the most precious, re- okay, I know we look at money a lot of times and say, oh, but you know what's even more important than, than time when you're looking at the, is your, I mean, money is your time. Your time is so precious that people are willing to pay you so much an hour to give you, for you to give them an hour of your time because there's only so much time you got. Time is a very precious commodity. So how are we using the time that God gives us? How do you devoted them for service in his house? Or have you allowed the pagan god of materialism to plunder and defile them? How are we using everything that God's given us as individuals? But then as we pan back and we look at our church body, how are we using the resources God has given us as a church? Are we using them to bring him honor and glory or are we too busy worried about other things? We see that King Cyrus tells his treasurer, Mithridathath, if I'm pronouncing that right in Hebrew, he brought out by, by his hand, which is the treasurer. And he was to ensure that the resources were given to Israel. <laughs> but notice in that list, he doesn't describe the items by their use or their function. Rather, he describes them by grouping them. In other words, it's a kind of inventory you expect an accountant to give. And then if you look at Shesterbar, they call him the Prince of Judah. He's the only one who could legally claim the throne of Judah. He was in line with David. He's the only one who could become rightfully, rightfully become king of Israel had God allowed it. And his name, Sheshabar, is the ones the Babylonians had gave him, but his Hebrew name is Zerubbabel. So I want you to see that these items were being transferred from a treasurer to an heir. And to understand this, imagine for a moment you transfer contents of an art gallery from an accountant to an artist. How would that transaction sound? Well, for an accountant, he may just say, uh, Monet, $1,000, $100,000, Van Gogh, $50,000, uh, Picasso, $75,000. So he's just writing down the item and how much it's worth. No real attachment to it. Uh, it's almost uh, no feeling and no meaning behind it. Just matter of fact, this is the item, this is how much it is or how many they have. But how would it sound to an artist when it reached his hands or her hands? Uh, the artist would carefully and passionately examine every contour, every texture, every brush stroke. They would receive them with emotion and attachment and passion. It would mean so much more than just the list of how much it's worth. Because that art, piece of art would be priceless to the artist. You get what I'm going? So when those items went from the treasurer over to Bazaar, it had a lot of meaning. It's not just an item. It represented so much more. It was literally priceless to him. 
because he saw the promise of the future temple coming. He saw God working in them and what he was going to do through them. They went from being just items listed on an accountant's ledger to items that brought hope. The same thing happens when you watch your resources transfer from your hands to God's hands. They move from being just numbers in your checkbook register to a source of joy and hope. Five dollars in the United States of America, and you take that five dollars over to places in Africa and other places, it means so much more. It can bring so much more than we are such a rich country. Do you realize that we throw away more food than people have to eat in the entire year? You know, most of the world's population doesn't have a cell phone or internet connection. Some people in the world don't even have running water. They don't have a source of clean water. In fact, there's missions started that we send over to Africa, and they go over there and help them get clean drinking water. And through that, of course, they tell the story of who is the true source of the water, who is the living water of Jesus Christ. That's how they, they, they meet those people. But my point being, we have so much here. Look at the Scripture. How many people have a Bible with you today? And I, I guarantee that we have multiple translations of that Bible, don't we? We all have that big family Bible. We've seen one of those, like the cover's this big, and you open it up, and it has a family tree. And a lot of those just sit there on the coffee table and collect dust. But you know those places, such as China, places of the old Soviet bloc, that if you're caught with just a page of Scripture, you're persecuted and thrown in prison? They memorize Scripture. In fact... On some of the prisons that these people are put into, they'll write down scripture to encourage one another. And yet we have so much of it. And we have so many study tools. I use them when I study for my sermons. And, you know, when you're breaking down a Hebrew or Greek word, I can just imagine what must have been like flipping through commentaries and looking up the word. Now I can just hover the word and click it like this and find out where it's all. You know what I realized? I can click on the word on my software and it shows you everywhere it's used in the Old and New Testament. Just like that. So my point being, we have so much. Instead of hoarding them, I, I, I need to pass that along. It's not just material things, but what I know, what God has shown me, what God has taught me, I need to pass that along too. When we, when we pass our resources and we, we transfer over to God's hands, they move from being squandered away in our passing needs of the moment to being pricelessly invested in the future hope of the Lord's work. When we give, be it of time, talented, or financial resources, we are giving into the hope of the Lord's work. And that word hope, We use it so often, I hope it clears up today, I hope this. But the hope that we have in the Bible is a sure, steadfast thing. We talked this morning in Bible class, uh, Sunday school, about what do we hope for? We hope for the return of Christ, but it's not like I'm hoping that it's going to happen, may not happen. I know the return of Christ is sure. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. It's going to happen. We see way back here that God told them that the exile was going to end and told them 70 years they knew it was going to happen it was just a matter of time they learned that hey god keeps his word and the bible is full of these stories we can look back where god prophesies through his 
prophets, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and we find out time and time and time again, God always keeps his word. God restored his resources here by transferring from one hand to another, a hand that was focused on the cold, hard facts of the moment, to a hand passionately, hopelessly focused on God's future. I want you to understand that as the treasurer handed that stuff out, it probably didn't mean much to him. He probably liked the gold and the silver, don't misunderstand me. But when it was received, it meant so much more. Priceless. The future. The temple was going to be rebuilt. He could see it. This is, this is really happening. And the joy he must have felt when that was going on. Which hands are your resources in? In the hand that says money, bills, money, bills, money, bills. Or in the hand that receives everything with an eye on how will God use it for his purposes. Everything God has given you, I want to stress this again, everything God has given you or will give you, he gives it for one sole purpose, to bring him glory and to bring him honor and to use it to expand his kingdom. That's everybody. And when we invest in that, Everything that you see around us, this building will be gone one day. It's all going to be completely destroyed. But when we invest in the eternal kingdom, we're impacting eternity. You're impacting people's destinies. You are making a difference that will last forever and ever and ever. We get to the last part of this. We, he says all the articles of gold and silver, number 5,400, but that's not the same if you were to add everything up. This is not a comprehensive list. All right, he's, he's telling us these specific items for a reason, for a purpose. So here's what he gave back. He gave us back 5,400 things, but here's some highlights of that list. And he brought them up. Look at that last verse. Sheshabar brought them up with them, with all the exiles, when they went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. It had been 70 years. Let me ask you something. When are we tempted to give up? 70 years? Do we even make it a year? Do we even make it a month? Because I tell you right now, I know it's going through some of our hearts, that we're so tempted just to throw in the towel and just say, I quit. It's not worth it. Perhaps that's where you're at today. This text is saying, don't you ever give up. God is at work. These items had spent seven years in the land that God had cursed. Years before the exile, God had cursed Babylon for what they were going to do to his people. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12 and following. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans. I will make it an everlasting desolation. I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it. All that is written in this, in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings will make slaves of them, even them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds 
and according to the work of their hands. Babylon was doomed. It was a set thing. Things had gone pretty great for them so far, but Israel knew that was going to come. Jeremiah had said it was going to happen. They knew it. If the exile had taught them anything at all, it was to take God at his word and listen to his prophets. Israel was in a land that was not their home. And here's, you could say this is a tragic thing, maybe a sad thing. We have to remember back from last week that not everybody went. They had to choose if they were going to go. And some of them did stay. They were pretty comfortable in Babylon. They, they had adjusted. They had made lives for themselves. So they, they chose to stay. Stay. Many of them chose the familiar comfort of the right now over the promise of the yet to come. How many of us compromise every day for the comfort of the right now and we compromise the not yet of what's promised to us as Christians? What is promised to us? Heaven. Everlasting life. But yet so oftentimes we compromise the comfort of the here and the now. But we find in the text that God always has a remnant because a remnant went. They didn't choose to stay. They chose to go where God wanted them to go and chose to take what God wanted them to take. They took his resources with them. They chose God's future promise over the present comfort. Because that trip was not going to be easy. They had to go back and rebuild everything. But they knew what God had prophesied. And only what he has prophesied, but what they prophesied in the future. As they're looking forward to that. We, uh, we observe the Lord's Supper. Not only is it a time of looking back. But we can go back and find many prophecies that talk about who Jesus was and what he's going to do. We read in Isaiah the suffering he was going to go through. He even talked about he was going to die. They didn't quite get it. But the story doesn't end there. The communion, the Lord's Supper reminds us that God keeps his word, but we can also look forward in future with great anticipation, knowing that what God has talked about, what he's going to do in the future, is going to happen. So as... The dial in Sunday school class asked this morning, what are we so afraid of? What is holding us? If God is in control and he shows us time and time again, you wonder in our context of our story, why did them all go back? Perhaps they were just a little too scared to do it. They got comfortable. Eh, here's some money. Take care of it. Here's another application. Perhaps you have a loved one in mind that needs to come to faith in Christ. And you've been praying, God, send somebody, send somebody. Or perhaps you know of a need. God, do something, do something, do something. Just perhaps the answer has been already given to you, but you haven't listened. Perhaps God is saying, that's great. I send you. God, you need to rebuild your temple. Send us back into the land. Okay, go. Well, no, I'm kind of comfortable right here. Thank you very much. 
It seems weird to us when we read this story, but we do the same thing, don't we? We rather continue what is familiar than to step out. Not quite knowing how it's all going to play out, but knowing that God keeps his word. And psychology has taught us this because people who are in bad relationships, and you wonder, why is that woman or this man in this bad relationship? Because they rather take the familiarity of it, they know what's going to happen, than rather step back and say, you know what, this is going to end. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm a little scared about this, but I have to get out of here. We do the same thing, don't we? How many times have I told myself, you know, I don't want to be scared no more. I I really want to trust God. I want to experience you, God. I really want to experience you. But yet, even in worship sometimes, I hold back because I'm too comfortable. What if God tells me to do this? or We get so worried of what could happen that we don't focus on what God wants to do. And that can happen on an individual level and also at a corporate level. So the question comes back to us as we talk about these restoring resources that God's doing. He's bringing all these items of worship back so they can worship in the temple. The temple's going to be back. But the question is among us today and confronts us today, where are resources, our possessions and treasures today? Are they stored up in a land that is cursed? In a land that is comfortable right now? But you know it's not going to last. I mean, think about that. They knew Babylon was going to be destroyed and they're going to go back. And we know that Christ is going to come back and they're going to be destroyed. He's going to come back and reign on earth. So we kind of have the same question before us, don't we? Where are we investing our resources? Jesus warned us about this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? Well, Jesus tells us right here how you can tell where your heart is. What are you doing with God's resources? He owns everything. He's given you things to be good stewards. So what are you doing with them? Just like those items were created for the sole purpose of glorifying God in this temple, everything you have was created for the same purpose. The Lord gave you everything you have to use for His glory. So the question is, are you doing that now? Do you need to transfer some of that treasure today? Or would we rather have the moss and the rust have it? And here's even a more probing question. Would you rather have the fleeting comfort for today or have bright hope for tomorrow? The choice is yours. Are you going to step out and say, yes, God, I believe you. I trust you. You keep your word. Are you going to say, you know, that's that's fine for some other people, but I'm going to stay right where I'm at. I'm so glad that God raised up people who are not willing to settle for the status quo. You can see it full of history, Christian history, men and women who are not afraid to stand up and speak out.
You've heard it say a thousand times, and it bears repeating today, the basic definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. That's insanity. This question is probing my mind and heart right now. When are we going just to let go and say, God, you got it. We'll follow you. We've seen, we've seen some things happen because of that. Look around you. There's a lot more people here today than it was just a year ago. Look at the ministries that's happening. The children. The people we're reaching out to. God's bringing our way. Because you, God's people, have said, you know what? I'm going to invest my resources in this. God, you keep your promise. And I believe God's calling us to the next step. Even go deeper in our relationship with him. You want things to change? You desire to see God work? You, you, want, to see, you want to see a revival? As Charlie talked about. You know what revival really is? It's reviving the people of God. Stir that fire within you. And can, I'm just going to encourage you with this, and then I'm going to pray. And then the invitation will be open to you to respond to what God's leading on your heart. Quit listening to the enemy that's telling you right now, what's so-and-so around the barn? What's so-and-so sitting next to you going to think? Don't worry about that. You do what God's laying on your heart. I know it's fearful. I know it's scary. Trust me, I know. But God always keeps his promises. And you know what? He has promised never to leave you or forsake you and provide what you need. Jesus is not asking us to do anything he didn't do himself. He suffered. He died. And now he's at the right hand of the Father. I I almost almost like to picture him going, Tim, come on. I blazed the trail. Follow me. I'm with you, son. You got my spirit. I've been there. I know. Come on. Asking us. And as you take that baby step, you take another step, and you take another step, you look back and go, wow, what God's brought me through. What is God laying on your heart, and how are you spending your resources, your time, your talent, financial, everything? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day, and we thank you for your word. We thank you, dear God, that you never leave us. You're constantly with us. And even now, uh, dealing with us and dealing with our hearts. And Father, I pray that we will each, in our way, let go. Let go of certain things over our lives and give you control of it. There's freedom in letting go. For Jesus, you said, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Meet each of us respond in obedience to your voice. In your name we pray. Amen.